Do you ever judge your daily performance? Just your interactions with people and the stuff that you're doing that day? I have a habit of doing that sometimes. Last year, I was sick for almost the whole entire winter. I was misdiagnosed a couple of times, kept going to different doctors. I just had a constant fever. I was always congested. I was coughing a ton. And finally, they sent me to a specialist, and I was able to get it all sorted out. They put me on the right medicine. And I went to go get my um, prescription that day, and I drove up to the pharmacy, and it was snowing. I felt awful. I was running like 102 fever, just coughing constantly. And I get to the window, and, and the girl says, hey, how can I help you? And I go, hey, I'm here to pick up my subscription. And I immediately knew I said something wrong because she started laughing. And she goes, <laughs> you mean like a Netflix account? And I was like, oh, not today. Like, I'm coughing up blood. Okay, that's a little dramatic. But I, this is not my week right now, right? And so I pay, and, and then she sends out the um, prescription in, out of the draw. And if you guys have been to the drive-thru, you've seen that. But the problem is I have a Jeep, and it is really high off the ground. And so as I went to go pick up my prescription out of the draw, I took my foot off the brake. And what I didn't realize is my car wasn't in park. And as I went to go reach, I had a lean. I hit the gas, right? And I, like, gunned my car, like, right down. I had a heart attack. I thought Jesus was coming back, right? And now I have to put her in reverse and see this girl again. And I just put her in reverse, and she's dying laughing. And I'm like, yep, it's me, subscription boy, back again. Right? I was like, so easy to judge our performances sometimes. And I think a lot of us can judge our lives by and find our worth from our performance. For a lot of you guys, it's the job it's the salary, it's the talent. We want to feel valued. We want to feel special by the things that we do. But as long as you find your worth and your value from your performance, you will always be left wanting more. I say it like this. A constant need for credit will always leave you in debt. The praise will never be enough. The salary will never be high enough. There will always be someone else more talented. And it's so important that we learn to find our value and our worth in something else besides our performance, because our performance will always let us down. If I'm not careful, I can make church about my performance. Um, I have a little bit of old school Pentecostal still stuck in me. So if I don't make everyone cry at the end of the service, I don't feel like I'm doing my job. I want to pray for you afterwards and you fall over because God's presence is so powerful. It hits you with that modesty blanket. Like some of you guys don't even know about modesty blankets. You didn't grow up in a Pentecostal church in the 90s. Like that, that was real living. I'm just joking. We had a lot of fun, and that would be weird. I don't want to those things to happen, but I do want it to be powerful. And so often, I can try and make it about what I do and what I have to say and forget what this is all really about. And even worse than that, so many of us think that our relationship with God depends on our performance. Some of you guys had a really hard week. You didn't open up your Bible once. You were in an argument with someone you love, and it ended really bad. Some of you guys made one of the worst decisions of your entire life this week, and you feel so completely far from God. You feel like he could not be more disappointed with you. You feel like he is totally done with you because we think God's love for us depends on our performance. And so we have these highs and these lows in our walk with him. When we're doing everything we're supposed to, we feel like, yes, I am who God wants me to be. But then when we have a bad week, and we fall short, we feel like God wants nothing to do with us. Then others of us 
or feel like we're having a really good week. We are so proud of our performance. We just feel like God is up in heaven so proud of us. We started a Bible plan this year. And we were like, we're going to get it done. We're going to finish it. And you're already a year ahead of yourself. You're killing it, right? You feel like God is up in heaven like Oprah Winfrey, just throwing out blessings on you, right? <laughs> so far from the truth. You feel like God loves you so much more than everyone else because you've been doing all the right things. Both these patterns of thinking are so incredibly dangerous and so far from the way that God would have us view his love for us. And my hope today is to try and help some of you guys who have been struggling for a really long time. And if I'm honest with you guys, this is something that I struggle with. Can we agree to take our masks off this morning? And if I take mine off first, I, I would say this to you guys. Is that sometimes I have weeks, sometimes I have days where I feel like I'm getting more wrong in my walk with God than I'm getting things right. Sometimes I feel like he is just so disappointed with me because I'm so far from being the person that he wants me to be. And so I know what it's like to have those highs and lows too. And I'm a pastor. I've given my life to this. If I feel this way, I'm sure there's some of you guys that feel this way. And I really want to help some of you. Some of you guys, it's your first time in church. And you look around at all of these people sitting in this room. And it just seems like they all have it together. They're so put together, right? And you just feel like God can never truly love someone like you because of your past and the things that you have done wrong. Here's what I want to tell you is that there are no perfect people in this room just forgiven people. The church is a hospital for the sick, not a place, a museum for the saints. And it is so important that you know that. And I'm so glad that you're here because there is a God who loves you so incredibly much. Does anyone here ever use a weighted blanket before? Anyone? No one? Okay, good for you. Okay, so I recently tried one and they're supposed to help people with anxiety, but I'm pretty sure it gave me anxiety. Um, <laughs> I put it on me while I was napping one day, and I'm one of those people that naps really good. Like, I'll wake up from a nap, and I feel like I messed the school bus, but it's Sunday, and I'm 31 years old, so <laughs> something, something is really off there. And I'm just so weak when I wake up from a nap that when I woke up, I like felt like I was trapped underneath the weight of this blanket. And finally, I said a quick prayer, and I was like, Lord, help me get this off, right? I threw the blanket off. I didn't really pray that. I threw it off, and I was like, not today, Satan, right? But what I want to do today is help some of you guys who are just stuck underneath the weight of your performance, stuck underneath shame and guilt. Those things are liars. Jesus has accomplished way too much for you in your life for you to stay stuck in those things. And I hope as we look at some scripture, God can truly set a lot of you guys free because you are never meant to stay stuck in this pattern. What if God's love for us isn't based on our performance? See, I know the truth to this answer. I went to Bible college. I went to Christian school. But it's one thing to know this, and it's another thing to live in it. And it's so important that we let it go from our minds into our hearts and really let it transform us. The problem is we're so stuck in our Western thinking minds. For everything for us is cause and effect. It's I do good, I get good. I do good, I get good. We're trained to think this way from children. You know, you get straight A's, you get that gift from mom and dad. You hit a home run at the baseball game, you go out for ice cream afterwards. Everything is cause and effect. What if God loves you for who you are instead of what you do? We struggle with that. We wrestle with that because we've been trained to think in this way. And I hope to help a lot of you guys that are struggling with this today. We're going to look at two stories today. The first one is in Matthew chapter 14. This is what it says in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat 
and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So here's his disciples. Jesus leaves them to go and pray by himself for a little bit. And as they are out on the water, a storm comes out of nowhere. And it's suddenly getting really violent for them. And I'm sure they're wondering, where is Jesus in all of this? Some of you guys know what it's like to be in a storm, to feel trapped, to feel like Jesus is nowhere to be found in the middle of what you're going through. Maybe your storm came out of nowhere. Maybe you created the storm in your life right now. And it's so easy to look at our performance and to look at our lives and say, man, God's abandoned me because of the way that I've been, because of the things that I have done in my past. It's so easy to get up in that train of thought. And the problem is we've been trained our whole lives to also think this, that the presence of God always equals our physical comfort. That is not the truth. As I look at scripture time and time again, I see people who love Jesus, who were doing what they were called to do, and still they met many storms in their life. So some of you guys are feeling just so trapped today. You feel like this is never gonna end. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It means that he's doing something in you, that he's working, and he has not left you in the middle of your storm. And as we work through the rest of this scripture, I hope to show you how that truly unfolds. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Peter, at first, gets out on the boat, out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. And the reason why he was able to walk on the water is because his eyes were fixated on Jesus. He had forgotten about the storm that was all around him the whole entire time. Guys, when you are going through really difficult things, I cannot stress how important it is for you to keep your eyes fixated on Jesus. If you can keep your eyes on Jesus, you will not drown. That storm will not overcome you because your Savior has you and you are focused on him. The moment we get into trouble and the moment Peter gets into trouble is when he starts to look at everything else that's going on around him. It just seems too overwhelming now because he feels the wind against his face. He sees how rough the water is. And now he's looking at all the things that are going on around him besides Jesus. When you focus on your circumstances, it will feel like you are sinking. It will look like there is no way out. It will look like there is no way to go forward. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will more than weather that storm. Some of us are so focused on our performance so focused on the things that we've done in our past that we've stopped looking at Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, you don't get caught up in all those other things. 
You are too captivated by his wonder and his beauty and the breakthrough that he is about to bring. Now, this next verse is really what I wanted to get to. And this is what it says in verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus didn't let him drown. And it's so important that we learn this. It will always be about Jesus' grip on us, not our grip on him. Because Peter let go and he started to sink, but Jesus had a hold of him. There have been times in my life where I took my, life, my eyes off of Jesus, where I let go and I started to sink. But you know what? He grabbed a hold of me. He wouldn't let me drown. And here's what I want to tell you. If you are in Christ Jesus this morning, you will not drown. Because it matters what he has done, not what you are doing. He is the one that's faithful. He is the one that never gives up. And he has a hold on your life. And I get it. It's overwhelming. I know what it's like to be in the pain of that storm and just see everything going on around you and feel like God has abandoned you. But I promise that he hasn't. He is all around you. And he will not let you drown because it is about his performance. And it will always be. Because we're just humans. We're going to fall short. We're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to do the wrong thing. But he is perfect when we are not. Jesus is not going to let you drown. You can relax in the middle of your storm, knowing that your Savior is fighting your battles. I want to look at another story this morning. A lot of you guys are probably pretty familiar with it. It's called The Prodigal Son. And I want to look at the last couple of verses of the story, so I'll just catch you up real quick if some of you guys don't know the story. One day, Jesus was telling a parable. It's a story with a deeper meaning to some of his disciples and some people that were around. And he says, one day there was a son who decided he was done with his father. He was done with that way of life, and he asked his dad for his full inheritance so he could go live life on his own. And now that I'm a dad, I think about this story through that lens, and sometimes my girls can be really tough cookies, and I just think about them saying this to me. I want you guys to check out this video real quick. So I just have a quick question. Um, were all women born with the ability to roll their eyes at men? Because no one taught her how to do that, right? So I just picture now my daughter trying to say that to me, and that would just be so heartbreaking that she would want to leave and live life on her own and giving up on our way of life. And that's exactly what the son does. He takes this money and he goes and he parties and he drinks and he spends it on prostitutes and eventually it all runs up. And I'm sure he had fun for a little bit, but now he's broke. He ends up working with pigs in the mud. He looks at their food and he wishes that he could eat some of it because he's that hungry and that broken. And then one day he remembers his father, and what life was like there. And he comes up with this plan. If I could just come back to my dad and ask him just to be a servant in his house, then I'm sure he would take me back and, and I could live better the way that I'm living right now. And so he thinks that that's a good idea and he goes back on his way to his father. And on the way home, he gets to the road right by his house and he sees his dad sitting outside, almost like he was waiting there the whole entire time. 
His dad runs towards him. And I'm sure he was thinking at first, maybe my dad is so angry with me, he's going to let me have it right now. Instead, he's met with a hug and a kiss. And he's getting ready to tell his dad, Dad, just let me be a servant. Just let me work here. Just let me come back in any way. And the dad says, no, no, my son, you are back. And I couldn't be more happy. That's where we're going to pick up in the story right now. Be in Luke chapter 15 is what it says in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? The brother was so fixated on his performance. He was so caught up in all of the right things that he had done his whole entire life that he couldn't understand why the father would treat this other son this way. Can I ask you a question? Who do you look more like this morning? Are you more like the son in the story when someone comes back to Jesus? Or are you like the father? that you rejoice when someone who was once lost and now is found? Or are you just so proud of your performance that there's something in you, just that self-righteousness that's bothered when things seem too good for someone else? If that's you, then you're probably caught up in your performance. And that's just such a miserable place to live. It's not a fun place to be. There is something so powerful when you realize how amazing mercy and grace are, when you realize that it is for everyone with no conditions, it is the free gift of God that he has given, that you could never earn it and you could never unearn it. It's just that powerful when you live in that truth. I hope that we would be a church that would be more like the father in this story. Let's look at this next verse. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And I love the father's response because here's the brother acting completely self-righteous, completely in the wrong, missing a party that's going on. And the father comes to him with love and mercy. He meets both of his sons in the same exact way. Both their sins are bad in this moment. We have, we're really good at deciding which sins are worse and which aren't. But Jesus looks at it completely different. The father looks at both of his sons and says, everything that I've always had has always been yours. And I'm so glad that you've always been by my side. Son, I love you. But he was trying to teach us something in this moment. I don't love you because of your performance. I don't love that you've always been here. That's not the reason why. The reason why is because you are mine. Because I love you. Because I made you and created you and called you. That's the reason why I love you. And nothing, nothing can separate you from 
that love. Some of us that have been stuck in the highs and lows lately, I want you to know the reason why God loves you is not because you've been keeping all the rules, not because your life looks so good. And those of you that are really broken today, God still loves you in the middle of all your failures. His love is consistent. It stays the same because you are his, because he chose you before time to set you apart. If you are here right now, it is no mistake. God has led you to this moment, and he is leading every step in your life because you're his, not because of what you do. It's so important that we learn to live in this truth because it changes everything, changes the way you view life, changes the way you view your storms. God is so madly in love with you. We need to get this in our minds and hearts. I don't love my children because of their performance. They love to play hide and go seek. It's like one of their favorite things in the whole world. And all day long, you can just hear in our house, Joey, daddy, hide, hide. That's what they call me, Joey, daddy. Joey, daddy, hide, 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 right? And um, they're really bad at hiding. Like, I'm just gonna be real with you guys. Like, their performance is terrible. They will stick their heads in the couch and their whole body is sticking out and they think they've found the best spot ever. And you know what? I love every single moment. I love playing hide and go seek with them, but I don't love them for their performance. And I just wonder if all of our accomplishments, all the things that we've kept right, all the good things that we've done in our life are kind of like that with God. Like, you get that he is the creator of the whole entire universe. He holds everything in place right now. Our accomplishments aren't that shiny and great to him, but he still loves us anyway, just because we are his. He loves you in the middle of your greatest accomplishments, and he still loves you in the middle of your greatest failures. And so this whole idea of do good, get good, Jesus turns it completely upside down. And the truth now is that I have done bad, and I still get good from God, and it's not fair. It doesn't always make sense, but it is what God does because he is that great. He has changed everything. If I asked everyone in the room right now, and I'm not going to ask you to do it, just to put your hand up, if God was faithful to you in the middle of your running, when you chose to walk out on him, when you pursued other things, I'm sure there were people in this room that would put up their hands and go, yeah, he was still faithful. He still sustained me. He was good even when I wasn't. That's just what our God does. That is the true love. Not this love that looks at you and goes up and down, disappointed one moment, so proud the next. It's not like an earthly love. It is a real lasting love that takes place in all of our hearts. And I get this this morning. I'm kind of walking a tightrope in a lot of ways. And I wrestled with this message a lot this week because I didn't want any of you to get the wrong idea. The idea that you can just go and do whatever you want now because that will only lead to pain. That's why God tells us not to do so many of the things that he tells us not to do. He just doesn't want us to be in pain because he knows that's what those things create. Now, what I wanted to do this morning was take the spotlight off you, your life and your performance and put it back on the one it truly belongs on. And that is Jesus. Sometimes when you're going through something like this, sometimes when the winds and the waves are beating against you, you just need someone to stand up in the middle of it and tell you you're going to make it to the other side. 
I believe that he who started a good work in you will finish it, that he will see it through. I don't care what your failures have been. I don't care what happened yesterday. I know the one who is faithful, and my faith is trusted and relying on him for not just me, but for the people in this church, that he is going to finish what he started. And it may look really dark right now. It may look like you are going to lose, but he is not done yet. He is still working behind the scenes. There are things that I am praying for. There are things that I am believing for right now in my life that don't seem like they make any sense, that seem like everything is going to fall apart. But you know what? I trust the one who is faithful, who will see me through, and he will see you through because he doesn't let his children drown. No matter how strong the storm is, no matter how bad your performance is, he's not going to give up on you. It's not in his nature. He simply can't do it. And I know some of you are thinking, like, this just sounds too good to be true. It doesn't make sense. Why? Why? Why would God do this? Because you're his. Sometimes things just don't make sense to our earthly mind. Sometimes I wrestle with this. God, why have you been so good to me? It's just because it's who he is. I want to look at one more verse this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is what it says. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you have ever heard me speak before or heard me pray on a Sunday night, you probably know that I quote this verse a lot, and you're probably thinking, man, I wish this guy would learn some new verses. But <laughs> that's not the truth. The truth is that I have written this verse on my heart. I carry it with me everywhere I go. I can't get up on the stage and do this if I don't live in this reality. That my performance doesn't matter anymore. What performance does matter and has been transferred to me is the performance of Jesus. And you know what got transferred to him? Every wrong thing that I have ever done. Every wrong thing that you have ever done was transferred to him the day that he got on that cross so that you and I could become the righteousness of God even though we don't deserve it. And there is nothing that is more powerful and will set you free than knowing that you are now the righteousness of God because he gave it to you, because he loves you. He didn't earn it, but he just cares that much. There is no access to heaven by performance. That's not how it works. We see this in movies and TV a lot. And it is completely not theologically true or right, but let's just go with this analogy for a second. That when you die, you'll stand before Peter one day and you'll have to tell him why he should let you in. I don't know who came up with that or why they came up with it, but we'll work with it. Um, so you get there and you say, you know what? I, I lived this great life. Uh, yeah, you know, I did a couple little bad things here, here and there, but overall, I had it all together. I was so much better than all those other people in church. Like, you don't understand, Peter. Like, I, I should be in, and I think the response would be, it doesn't matter what you've done, good or bad. What matters is, did you believe in Jesus? That is my only hope. It is your only hope. It is in our Savior. And you know how I know that's true? You know why I can believe that with all of my heart? Because when he was hanging on that cross, there were two criminals right next to him, thieves, who deserved to be on that cross. And we don't even know their full story. We don't know all the reasons why they were put there. 
I'm sure it was much more than just being a thief. But the thief sees, one of them sees everything that's going on. And he sees how Jesus is acting. And he's starting to realize there's something more to this Jesus than what meets the eye. And in a moment he goes, Jesus, would you remember me when you enter my kingdom, in your kingdom? I deserve to be here, but I can see that you really don't. Can you save me? And Jesus looks back at this thief whose performance his whole entire life was broken, who had nothing to offer Jesus besides his faith in that moment, and says, surely today you will be with me in paradise. His whole life was broken and messed up. Every wrong choice. But in one moment, God can change everything. And that is the truth for you and I today too. It is not your performance. It is his. It has been transferred to us. And we can rest in that power. What you have done is not the truth of who you are. It was the truth of that moment. But it is not the totality of who you are. The truth of who you are is who God says you are. He is the only one that has any claim and right on your life. And he says that you are chosen, that you are forgiven, and that you are appointed, and you are set free. Those are the things that he speaks over your life. And when you fall, he picks you back up and enables you to keep going and to keep moving. Because he's not giving up on you. Because you are his son and daughter. And he will see you through. I want to read to you guys this quote by Bob Goff. It says, tell people who they are becoming, not who they used to be. Your words are more powerful than you think. I so desperately want to be that kind of person, something I'm trying to work towards through God's strength. I want to meet people in the middle of their greatest failures and say, it's not about your performance anymore. You are now the righteousness of God. And yeah, you don't deserve it, but that is just God's love for you. He cares for you so much. When everyone else has given up on someone, when everyone else has written them off, even when they don't deserve, even when that wrong has been done to you, that's when it really gets real. Is can you speak those words over someone when they don't deserve it and they've hurt you? Man, I want to be that kind of person who speaks life into people and reminds them the truth that it will always be about Jesus. Here's a thought. The good things that you do, do you really think that it's you that's enabling you to fully do that all the time? Because it's not. It's him that sustains you to make those choices even in those moments. We really don't have much to offer at all. And when you recognize that, when you see that, when you realize that grace is the great leveler of all things, you can't help but love other people when you see that that grace has saved you and set you free. Here's the bottom line that I want you guys to remember today. God doesn't love you because of your performance. He loves you because you're his. And nothing can ever change that. Nothing can ever separate you from that love. Stop going high and low. His love is consistently for you, consistently holding on to you. You're not going to drown. He will see you through and finish the work he started. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for everyone in this room. Thank you, God, that they are your children. Thank you, God, that you are fighting their battles today. I pray for anyone that has just been wrestling with their performance or their past for a really long time. I pray that you would break shame and guilt over their life. 
Thank you that through the power and the blood of the cross, we are set free by your stripes and your wounds, Jesus. We are healed. And I pray today, God, even when things aren't comfortable in life, we would know that your presence is still with us, that it hasn't abandoned us in the middle of what we're going through. And there will be a day when you do make all things right, and there will be complete comfort. But until then, God, help us to trust you. Help us to know and see you in the middle of our storms. Give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given this to us, people who don't deserve it. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus before, I just want to give you an opportunity right now. And it's not the words that you're about to say that save you. It's your belief in that what he has accomplished. And so if that's you, you can just say these words silently with me. Jesus, I believe that you're doing something in my heart right now. I want to know your forgiveness. I want to know what it's like to be consistently loved unconditionally. I want to know what it's like to be free from shame and guilt. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again in victory for me. Help me as I start this journey with you today. If today was your first time ever praying that, could you just look me in the eyes real quick just so I could be praying for you? If today was your very, very first time, awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. God, we love you so much. Thank you for what you are doing, for what you're going to accomplish, that the best is still yet to come. You're still writing our stories. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.